we're going to start with a nice vote on Parshat Boaz The Pusik says, Shivi Luchem Lohalaychem Vatu Payamudi Mudi. Hashem is saying that, you know, Klal Yisrael is going back to Lohalaychem, and Mishrabayim is staying with Hashem. So the Imrechayim says a, a cute touch on, on, on these words. Uh, for those who understand Yiddish, it's obviously a lot uh, simpler. Shivi Luchem. Luchem is a plural term. There are people that in Yiddish, when you address someone with respect, somebody you have to respect, someone who's not just your friend, someone who's either older or more. You know, so you say, how are you, in a plural term. In English, very poor language when it comes to showing respect. So it's all you, unless it's third party. But in Yiddish, when you're talking to somebody who's older than you, or somebody you have to respect, it's not not So Hashem is saying, to those of you who have to address as a plural with respect, those you could stay home. Those are the people that are hard to work with, hard to deal with. Then the people that that it's harder to, you know, to to help them, educate them, or work with them when it comes to Torah mitzvahs and everything else. The atu to those who I can speak directly, somebody I can speak to as a friend. I have to be so careful with my choice of words and how I'm going to address you and how you're going to take it and, and things like that. Less complicated, let's call it. Those are the people that could stick around. Those are the ones that are that that is what to do with them. Um, when it comes to relationships, so much of relationship is communication. And so much of communication has to do with how easy you are for somebody to communicate with you. Somebody who's, who's challenging and complicated to, to discuss something with or to talk to and everything becomes a whole issue. You know, just last week somebody was telling me, I, I can't say anything at all. I said, why not? He said, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you examples. And he asked me for examples. You know, tell me, uh, give me a sentence and I'll tell you how my wife will respond. And he was pretty good at it, you know, um, showing just how discussing the weather or just repeating something nice or asking a question or giving an answer could always be, you know, taken out of context and who cares, why are you saying this, why do you think so, you always say that, you never say that. It just gets so complicated. I think this is just the, the general idea of Shivi Lechem Life. you know, try, try to make sure you're not, you're not being complicated, uh, complicating when, when somebody's t- trying to talk to you. Because if somebody has to think too much before talking to you, am I saying it right, am I going to say it right, it just becomes frustrating and, and, and turns people off, and then there's much less communication, which results in much less relationship. Um, so with that, let me read a question. That came in. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi Groom, for your wonderful work. I have taken your kind classes and listen and like listening to your Q&A weekly. I'd like, to, I'd like to address a question for your question and answer class. My husband is, okay, she writes his personality based on my class. Um, he has from an excellent, well-paid, prestigious job. They demand a lot of him. He keeps on complaining about the burden that he has, needing to comply with the boss's demands. He often mentions that he wants to start up his own firm, saying that if he puts in so much energy, he wants to do this for himself. The question to you, as his wife, after months of hearing his almost daily complaining, I'm feeling very pressured by it. Often the pressure would overwhelm me and let me down for the day. I started feeling that by listening to him vent, I'm holding him back from doing anything to change the situation. Maybe he just gets the wrong connection and that's enough for him, like I'm taking the pressure so deeply that he feels already good just venting. I have my own fears for him leaving his job, financial security, who knows if we won't have another reason to feel down then. All jobs have difficulties and who knows if after working painlessly for months or years to make a salary, to make the salary he's making now, he will then be pressured by clients, money, and all that will come with it since he has a tendency to fall into some kind of depression every time he has difficulties. I have a gut feeling that all he has to do is either accept the situation with all his benefits and difficulties, or he should just open his own firm. The complaining is just not helping anything. <clears throat> I don't know what my role should be in this. What is the wisest way to be there for my husband and yet be okay with it 
without feeling that it's my problem. I've tried taking myself out emotionally, meaning telling him that I'm here with him and I support him on whatever he decides, is right to do without feeling that it's my problem. He did not take it easy, for he's used to me being there all the way emotionally with him, which I believe is holding him back from doing anything about it. Baruch this does not affect our love and devotion to one another, and we, Baruch have a beautiful, happy, loving relationship. I hope my question is clear. I thank you in advance. May Hashem bless you with a lot of Yiddish from your children and all the best. Okay, thank you and Umay. Um So in short, I always like just recapping basically to, to you know, best put into short what I'm going to be addressing over here. Like, like I always say, you know, by the time a question gets addressed in the class, it might not even be relevant. This guy may have opened one firm, two firms, maybe not, maybe closed them already, I, I don't know. But basically the, the, the question is that we have a wonderful relationship and my husband has pressure in his job and he likes venting and I don't know how to answer. I'm not sure what he should really be doing and where he's going to be matzliach, etc. So th- th- this is what I want to really break down. The first thing, obviously, that I always mention, you should be thankful thankful for a good marriage. Uh, nothing to take for granted. I think we have listened to these classes, knows that by now. Um, but aside from the blessing of having a good marriage and a good shalom bias, it helps deal with everything better as well. And everyone should, should, should learn from this. Which means the most difficult situation and even much more challenging situations, when there is shalom bias in a good relationship, you can work it out. You might not know exactly how, you might want to hear some piece of advice or whatever, but the fact that there's a good relationship means two people are working on a situation as difficult and challenging as it may be, there's what to work with. There's two people that are willing to work together on it. Um, as opposed to when two people don't get along and they don't have a good relationship, it could be the smallest things that literally you know, trigger and, and, and throw off everything off course. So it's not, it's not the example, it's not the situation, it's, it's, how, it's how you deal with it and who's and how the two people are interacting about it, and like that. Now, like a lot of questions that people send, and a lot of times I discuss with people one-on-one, there's, there's, there's a mix of different issues over here. In this case, I see, I see uh, I'll say, let's say, three main issues. But a lot of times that's what happens when different issues and different questions and different problems and situations all like intertwine and become one big mumble-jumble. And by that time, it's very hard to figure out what, what am I addressing, what's really the issue, what's the solution... Now, sometimes there's no choice. Sometimes you have, you have three things coming together at once. Right? You have somebody who lost his job, and he's depressed, and it's causing a strain on the relationship. So, so at that point, it's really all one big mess. Uh, but sometimes you can really break it down and deal with each thing separately. Now, it would be wonderful if when people have a whole mix of problems to find one solution that will solve all their problems. But very often in real life, it doesn't work like that. Just like I mentioned often that it's a shame when a uh, chinuch issue and a shalom bias issue start affecting each other when they didn't have to. You have a problem with a kid, with a child, uh, work it out. Figure out the way to deal with it. Don't, don't let it out in your spouse and then have not only a chinuch problem, you have a shalom problem as well. And the other way too, I, I mentioned often how shalom problems don't have to become um, chinuch problems. It's the same with everything. When you could compartmentalize the issues that you're dealing with, uh, very often it just becomes easier to figure out uh, what's the real problem, what's the dominant problem, what's the second one, what's the solution, what, which part could we solve right away, which part maybe we don't have a solution to right away. We don't have to solve everything at once or with one solution. So it's, it's, it's very important. Um, also, just this past week, uh, two, two people that I was talking to, also so similar, um, where you know, hearing them discuss situations, I realized that when you break it down, you're dealing with your own personal issue about not feeling fulfilled, and then you have another issue about having a relationship problem with somebody, and you have a third thing about not making a living, and, and if you're just throwing it all into one sentence, then you might not have anything that's going to answer all of it at once, and it's just so important to take apart. So I think that's also very uh, important. One more introduction that I'm going to say before trying to answer 
some of the questions is that um, this could easily be um, husband to wife and wife to husband. Now, I mention that often with a lot of questions, but in this case as well, very, t- very many times I hear this from husbands who are saying that they hear their wife complaining, whether about housework or about their jobs or about family or about children. And it's the same thing, like, oh, she just keeps on complaining, maybe I shouldn't be listening to her, maybe we should It's much the same thing. I don't see this in any, in any way as a, as a husband issue because of it's a career issue or a financial issue. I, I see this to be um, equally relevant to both. So, like I said before, I'm hearing three issues, and I'd like to address them separately. Let me just tell you what the three issues are. Um, one is an a empathetic listening issue, right? Somebody's venting to me, and I want to be there to help out. Another one, a separate issue, is a codependency issue. How much responsibility should I take for someone else's issue? Separate issue. Um, and the third issue is choosing a career and finding a panusa and doing the, making the right decision when it comes to uh, finances. I think it's three separate things. It happens to be all um, coming into, into the same situation at once when somebody's complaining and me feeling responsible and us both not knowing what the right the thing to do you know, in the future is. But I, I, when you break it down, I think it's, it's really three separate things it should be addressed separately. Let me, let me start with the listening issue, okay? You have a husband who's coming home, and he's venting, and he's complaining, and he's crutching, whatever you want to call it. And the same is with a wife, like I said. And actually, the same is with children, but let's, let's stick to adults for now. Because with children, sometimes we look at it like a childish or immature thing, and just a nurturing thing um, that, he's planning, that you plan on having him grow out of one day. But in the meantime, um, listening to somebody, and having who to complain to, that means both the person who has to complain and the person who's listening. It, it, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. It, it, it's. I spoke about this in a, on a Komavasashi recently. But you don't realize how much it does for somebody um, to have who to kvetch to, let's call it, to vent to, um, to unburden themselves on. This is normal and healthy, and something that I think everyone deserves. Now, sometimes um, you'll have a, a spouse, right? That's doesn't matter, spouse A and spouse B. Spouse A is complaining and spouse B is listening. Very often spouse B gets frustrated and gives either some kind of attitude of, can you just stop complaining? I can't handle this, this negativity. Or if something's bothering you, you can go to a therapist. What do you want from me? And, and there's a lot of times where even if somebody is listening, but they do it with a certain, certain attitude of, of uh, not resentment, but like, wh- why are you doing this? And making someone feel very stupid for unburdening or sharing their feelings. Um... Similarly, some people have this attitude of, oh, you want to tell me what's bothering you? Okay, we need, we need to make an appointment for this. You can't, just, you can't just talk to me like that. Or this topic I don't want to hear anymore about. And I hear these things very often. People complain to me very often that my wife, husband, uh, will only let me talk about certain things or only certain times or whatever. It becomes so complicated. It becomes so complicated. Now, I'm not saying that you should be able to chew someone's ear off 24-7 especially if it's coming with a certain OCD attitude of saying the same thing again and again, and it does get frustrating. I'm not saying that everyone has to be there 24-7 to listen to what someone else has to say and, and, and not have any, you know, and every conversation has to be the same thing again and again. But, but the other extreme is also very not good. Don't make it so complicated that every conversation has to be scheduled and I can't say now and, and I can't hear anymore and it, it becomes sometimes very stressful to be in a close relationship with somebody who you can't communicate with. So again, there are definitely two extremes in this. There are people that do it too much and there are people that do it too little. And obviously we're always trying to find a balance. Um, but in general, let's go back to the general. In general, it's healthy and deserving. Right? A spouse deserves to have somebody to be able to share their feelings with, somebody who can listen to them, somebody who can show that they care, somebody who can show empathy. It's, it's, and, and, and it's doing a lot. But first, the part about this is what someone needs. 
I've heard this from quite a few people, either about their parents or about a spouse. Um, she won't let me talk about this topic. When I bring it up, she says, I don't want to hear about it. I, I can't deal with it. Again, if somebody can't, they can't. Sometimes certain topics are too traumatic. I, 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 I know all the excuses, and I don't need anyone answering me, but you don't understand. I know there are exceptions. But in general, um, it's, it's important not to make someone feel choked or to listen to them with a certain attitude that makes them uh, um, feel uncomfortable. And, and there are people that even ask, like, what, why, why are you saying this? Why are you complaining? I can't do anything about it anyway. Stop wondering why somebody is sharing with you something. And, and stop um, um, trying to disprove the need for it because this is a natural need and, even, and, and regardless of uh, if, you, if you understand it or not it's, it's emotional like everything else it doesn't have to have a major logic um, this is what people need and sometimes people wonder about themselves why, why do I need this? Why, why am I even complaining? this was the topic that I was discussing in the Komavasa Shir where somebody was venting and complaining and like why am I even saying all this? don't wonder why you're saying it you're saying it because it makes you feel better and you're saying it because it's a natural need for somebody to have who to, who to talk to now sometimes um, people make the other mistake of, oh, so you're complaining to me and I must come up with a solution. And they start giving solutions right away without realizing that, no, the point is to share feelings. So telling someone to don't share your feelings or you can share your feelings and I'll right away give solutions as if that was, that was what was needed, they're both mistakes. Having someone just quetch and be listened to and be understood is tremendous. Now some people will say, well, I did that already so many times and it hasn't been helping. It doesn't necessarily have to help. There are people that go for therapy, uh, and again, we're not going into the whole therapy idea of when it's a help and when it's not a help, but there are people that go for therapy every week for years just to have who to quetch to. Now, if that's a need, and somebody feels good about doing it, feeling heard, feeling validated, and there's no negative implication or repercussion coming from having a therapist validate, in other words, you're not coming home now with, with major complaints, you see the therapist on the store, or I'm right, no. As long as you're just going, because it makes you feel good to have who to talk to. And that's what gives you your boost of energy you know, for the week, that you know someone's listening, or somebody cares, that's fine. You know, Chazal, Chazal say, Da'agab Levish Yisichana, the Pusik says, so Chazal, Zagamura, Rabami Vervasi, you have a Machlekes over there, what does Yisichana mean? Right, you have a Da'agab Levish, somebody's bothered by something, Yisichana. It either means Yisichana Midatoi, which basically means, put it out of your mind, or Yisichana Lachayram, right, Tumadomrim. What I think is interesting is that Yisichana Lachayram means share it with someone, basically. Um, I don't know if this is the pshat, but maybe what it means is that the first mandoma says, something's bothering you, get it out of your head. What if you can't? Oh, if you can't, then share it with someone. Sometimes sharing it with someone is what helps somebody now accomplish to get it out of the head. And sometimes sharing it with someone is what you do when you can't get it off your mind. So you couldn't do the midatoi, and you won't be able to. It's bothering you very much. At least share it with someone. And, and if that didn't help, then you can share it again. You do once, basically, because once it's off your mind, it's off your mind. But, but sharing with someone you can keep on doing and sometimes that's what people need so if somebody's questioning to you time and again as long as it's not obsessive and as long as it's not um, 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 damaging or, or being done the wrong way at the wrong time and, and taking over the whole relationship and the whole everything but the fact that somebody's questioning about something you know if, if every Pesach let's, let's, start some, some, let's start with something only yearly if every Pesach your wife complains that it's hard to make Pesach it's okay that, that's part of what she needs to have someone to listen to her kvetch in order to make the Pesach come. So if you can tell her, oh, I heard this already every year, why do you keep on saying it? It's, it's, it's natural and normal for somebody to need that. And you don't have to go into problem-solving mode and solutions and feel responsible, like, oh, I must have the answer now and, and start throwing answers, which just makes people defensive and frustrated. No, that's not a good answer. It is a good answer. It's knowing how to listen with empathy and feeling along and saying, wow. So that's, uh, you know, it's all, it's all normal. 
It's all very normal. Now, sometimes, sometimes, it's fine to tell someone, listen, I want to listen to you. Um, now, with the kids and everything, it's just hard. By night, let's, let's discuss it. It's not about, you can't talk to me about this now. We didn't decide that we, we, ha- we don't have an appointment yet. People who talk that way, I've been to a lot of therapy, and that's why they're talking that way. Nobody came up with that on their own, that you need an appointment to talk to me. Um, but my point is just that, even with a child, it's fine to tell someone, now's just not a good time, but I want to hear what you have to say. It will be easier for me to listen to you with two ears um, and and an open mind uh, later in the evening. That's first of all. That's fine. As long as it's being said nicely and not as if you're pushing someone away. Another another important point is that when you ask someone how they're feeling about something and they feel that you're interested in hearing from them, often it makes it so much easier for them to share even less because they feel cared for already and somebody has to chew your ear off to get that feeling like, do you care? Hello? Do you notice? Do I have to bring it up every day? And if not, you'll never uh, you'll never mention this. And it's the same thing with children who look for negative attention. They keep on looking for it because they know that they're only getting it because they asked for it, so it doesn't satisfy them. And if you'd only turn to them and give them some attention before they ask for it, they would feel better and they would need less of it. So I think that's also, um, you know, that's also important. Now, like I keep on saying, there is such a thing as too much, and at some point you might be able to tell someone, listen, I love listening to you and I care for you. I'm hearing this so often that it's just too stressful for me. It's not, about, it's not that you're complaining too much, it's that it's difficult for me. Uh, but until then, as long as it's within bounds, and if part of what your husband needs is to, and he is working very hard, is to feel appreciated and to feel like somebody really does care, so that when he comes home and he catches about how hard it is and how much as a boss takes him for granted, it's relatively okay. It's relatively okay. You know, it's not geschmack to sit ten hours in an uncomfortable environment, and if that's where he's spending most of his day and most of his life, he might just need somebody to. And the same thing is the other way around. When a husband comes home and a wife starts complaining about. And the kids and the supper and the this and the family politics and whatever else and the lack of sleep and very men very many men just go crazy from it and that, that's part of that's part of um, how to survive a day to know that somebody's going to come home and you'll catch to them as long as it's not obsessive or negative or challenging you know or too uh, confrontational it's, it's it's fine now then there's another issue which is closely related but it's the issue of codependency. Which means listening to somebody kvetch and being there for somebody and showing empathy is not because it's your problem that they're struggling. And, and, and offering a solution, before I just mentioned that you don't have to offer solutions because that's not what the person wants. That's the first mistake people th- make that if you're kvetching to me, you must want my solution. And people don't want your solution. But there's another issue about don't, not feeling obligated to come up with one in the first place. Even if somebody is asking what's the solution. Somebody's complaining to you. And it's so hard, and what should I do? And I don't know. And very often people go into that mode of, oh, I have to solve all your problems. I, I, I can't let you struggle at work. I can't let you struggle at home. I can't let you have a difficulty. It's my responsibility. I'm responsible that you're happy. I'm responsible for your mood. I'm responsible for your uh, peace of mind. And, and it's a big mistake. You're not obligated to, to solve someone else's problems. You're there for them and you care for them. So often this, again, it goes into two extremes. I'm either there for you all the way and I'll take all the burden and I'll solve all your problems for you or I'll have this apathetic attitude of I couldn't care less, it's not my problem, what do you want from me? This is your issue. You don't have to go to either extreme. I could care for you and listen listen to you and, and feel with you and for you and still not be any, any more obligated than you are, obviously, and even less, to solve your problem. At the end of the day, it's your issue with your boss and I'm here to give emotional support. That's it. It's important for people to understand it. Now, you don't have to express this. This is something that it sounds like you mentioned it. Um, it sounds like you, you mentioned that. It's not my problem. It is, my, it is your problem. You don't have to say this. 
as long as you're not giving an attitude of, I couldn't care less, okay, so you finished, so what are you saying now? No, you care, and you don't offer solutions. And even if somebody asks you, what is the solution, what should I do? It's fine to say, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? What, what would you do? So first of all, again, you don't have to get so intimidated. It's fine to say, again, I really don't know. I hear the problem. I feel for you. I can think about it. Do you have a solution? You don't have one? I, I don't either. Sometimes, if you feel comfortable and you want to, or if that's part of the, the way the question is being phrased, it's fine to say, I think I may have done this and this, although I'm not sure. I'm not in that situation now. I don't know if what works for me works for you. Now somebody might get defensive. What do you mean? Well, so you think that I should... I don't think you should do anything. I feel that I may have done this, and I really don't know. And you don't have to offer that either. So it's fine to know how to be there for somebody and feel for somebody without being codependent and responsible and obligated. And It's not good for anyone. Being codependent is not good for you to carry someone else's burden. It's not good for them to feel that somebody's carrying their burden and then lean on someone too much and then enjoy the victimhood and enjoy and enable all that uh, you know, unhealthy dependency that they have on you. It's not, it's not good for anyone. One important message, which I think you could um, give as a feedback message, is that I believe in you. And that's a very important message in general for people to hear. That's what, that's what people need very often. Children from parents, spouses, and anyone. I believe in you. I know it's hard for you. I believe in you. I believe you have what it takes. I believe you uh, will work this through. I believe you'll succeed. You didn't have to have the answer how. But just showing confidence. In, in other words, when you quetch to me and I see all your vulnerability and all your weakness and all your struggle, and my eyes and my ears make it sound like, hmm, you're a big problem. I'll, I'll be nice and listen and be your therapist, but I, you're, you're, really not, you're really not a successful person. You know, that doesn't feel good. Listening and sharing the confidence of, wow, it really is hard, and not in any way trivializing the difficulty and saying, you know, who cares? No, that's not what empathy is about. I, I don't even get there. It's obvious. I think it's obvious to know how to listen to someone and not you know, throw solutions or make believe it's not a big deal or I don't know, so it's nothing to do with me. Uh, but believing in the person and giving them the confidence that they need to work it through on their own. Now, I know that, that a lot of this is, is not easy when it comes to uh, spouses. At the end of the day, um, it's a husband, it's a wife. Every, every woman wants to respect the husband and not see all their vulnerabilities. Every husband wants to come home to a wife that knows how to run a home and take care of children. And very often, just because you are loving and connected, you really do feel for someone and you really do get enmeshed in their issues. Again, it's, it's a natural challenge. And, uh, and sometimes it's even good when you have that feeling for someone. But it's just important to remember in your own mind... Not to say it, but in your own mind, to remember this is not my issue. At the end of the day, we are two separate people. It's nice to make believe we're one, but sometimes it just gets unhealthy and too much for you to handle when somebody else is having a problem and it becomes yours and there's nothing you can do about it because it's not yours. Dr. Tversky says a story, I must have mentioned it a few times already. Um, he once had a client that he was sitting with for a long time, many months or years or whatever, however it works in therapy. Uh, you sit with someone forever. But at some point, I guess they felt that it was enough. And by the last session, they decided, you know, a gazagan, you know, saying goodbye session. So the, the client asks him, Doctor, I have a question for you. Um, now that we're ending our relationship over here, our ongoing sessions, and maybe you can answer me this question. It's been bothering me for months, okay? A lot of times in the middle of talking to me, I notice that you open your drawer, you peek inside, and then you just keep on going with the conversation. What's in that drawer? What's the magic? What are you looking at? So, you know, he wasn't comfortable, but he was asked the question, so he, he decided to answer. He said, in the, in the drawer there's a paper that says, the patient is on the other side of the desk. Very often a therapist, and 
I can relate to this when somebody is talking to you. Um, sometimes you you get pulled in emotionally either because you have the same issue that that person does, or because you once had it. It's uh, bringing up a certain feeling or a certain trauma, a certain relationship that you have, and you're getting stuck because somebody's asking you a question and and you're becoming part of the issue. And now you can't think logically anymore. You're getting emotionally swept in. It's important to remind remind yourself and ground yourself. And say one second, the patient is on the other side of the table. I'm dealing with your issue, not mine. And that was what he shared with this client. I think when it comes to spouses, and people take this wrong, the fact that a woman sees her husband as having his own issue is not because she cares less, it's because that's the only way to be able to be there for him when it's him. When it becomes you and him, and you're both stressed out about how we're going to make this work and how we're going to pay the bills because he's stressed in his work and he doesn't know what to do, you're just becoming part of the problem. You can't be any part of the solution. You can't be there for somebody and listen to them and give them the support when you're part of it. So I think this is something that's you know, just a very important to understand. Another thing, which is going to connect with the next thing really, is that sometimes you listen and listen and listen and you don't have much more to add and you see that your spouse really does want something back but you don't have what to offer. Sometimes the right thing to say is, listen, I love listening to you and I'm happy to be there for you and offer you what I can and there's nothing more I can. I think it might be Kedai worthwhile for you to go speak to someone else about it. Not like somebody who's pushing away and saying, stop talking to me, find someone to talk to. No, I'm happy when you talk to me. I feel that somebody else might have more to offer you. It's fine to direct somebody, to talk to somebody who is either more knowledgeable or more competent or less, less emotionally connected to the situation and, and uh, help them with that. It, it doesn't have to sound like you don't care, obviously, but that's sometimes important. And with that, let me go on to the next thing about career decisions. It sounds like your husband and you as well have some doubts about what he should be doing uh, for a living, how he should be making money, how he should be supporting the family, what he should be occupied with. This is a very, uh, very good question. Separate discussion. I don't think this discussion should be held, first of all, at the same time when somebody's quetching to you about the stress at work. That's what I wanted to um, 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 separate. You know, you're having stress at work with your boss, I feel for you. What you should do in the future, let's discuss it in a calm moment when you're less uh, worked up about it, when you're not just coming home from work sweating and feeling resentful. Let's talk about it when, when it's over the weekend or when it's uh, the calmest or on vacation. When you're not feeling the emotions, this, this, is, a, this is a big question what we do. It doesn't have to be the same conversation. It shouldn't be the same conversation. Both because it's the wrong time for it and because having to come up with this answer when there's an emotionally challenging conversation going on, it throws you both off and you're not focused on what you're trying to accomplish. In one part, you're trying to accomplish making someone feel cared for and listened to. and one part, you're trying to accomplish making a, a proper decision in life. That's something you might want to discuss with somebody. You might want to, you might want to, you know, different ways to figure out how to do this, have a sit-down conversation, all the pros and cons the least emotion involved and the most uh, logic involved. Now, people ask me these questions very often for a few reasons. One reason is because on Komovasa, a few years ago already, I gave classes on choosing career based on personality and things like that, based on my book, Get Along With Everyone, and people understanding themselves better. So there's a lot to say about it. Um, and I, I try to offer help when people ask me such questions. However, often people ask me questions and I tell them, you know, this is what I call a rebisher question. What do I call a Rebbe question? A question you might want to ask a Rebbe. Why would you want to ask a Rebbe a certain question? Any question that the answer is um, only dependent on the information that's currently in front of you, you ask somebody who understands the information, they'll give you the answer. Right? What do I do with my car? It's not working now. You ask a mechanic, he tells you, try do this. If you do this, it doesn't work, then there's something else to do. He doesn't say, oh, I said the wrong thing. No, this is what you do when this light is flashing. If, you, if, the, flight is, if the light is flashing, you press this button. If pressing this button didn't help, I'll tell you the next thing to do. I'm not going to regret what I said because that was the right answer based on what you told me. 
What do I do? It's raining. You, you open an umbrella. All you have to know is the current circumstance and give the answer if you're knowledgeable in the field. Well, I open the umbrella, it's still raining. Well, then maybe check if the umbrella has a hole in it. You know, it's a step-by-step process of just giving the right answer to the right question. Sometimes people ask questions that have, that have to do with things that are unknown. Should I invest in this thing? There's no, there's no, perf- there's no real answer to that, right? I have no way of knowing what's going to happen. Or um, should I do this, but I don't, I don't yet know who's coming, so based on my question of who might be coming, what should I do? So I don't know. I could tell you, I could tell you to guess, trial and error, but I can't answer the question because I don't know. And very many things in life are like that, where people ask questions based on the unknown. You ask them on the unknown, I could tell you my, my common sense answer. I could ask Hashem Fasiyah to guess the right answer, but I don't know. So you could ask a Rebbe, who might be using some other kind of... Uh, the supernatural forces or influences to, know, to guess the answer or to figure out the answer and to know the answer. Or you could ask somebody who will, who will take the courage and, and guess for you. It could be a consultant, it could be somebody who's taking whatever factors and variables he does know of and say, listen, based on what you're telling me, this is probably the best way to go, but I don't know. Whenever it comes to investments, whenever it comes to any kind of, any kind of future, when it comes to making money and things, there's no guarantees. Everyone knows that. If there'd be a guarantee in any field for anyone, then uh, yeah, obviously everyone would be making a lot of money. There's no such thing. As a matter of fact, when people tell me, you know, I, I invested with somebody who told me it's 100% guarantee, I'm, I didn't even have to wait to hear the end of the story that, oh, but it didn't happen that way. Oh, of course not. What were you thinking? And the same is with a lot of other things. So based on what you say and based on who you are and based on what you're cut out for, it probably makes sense to do this. doesn't mean that it's going to work. doesn't mean you'll have, you'll have no stresses later. doesn't mean that, that you'll make money. Nobody knows that. My point is not to, to make people feel uncomfortable that there's no way to know. My point is that when you, when you acknowledge that you can't predict the future, all you're left with is making the best decision you could and, and looking to Hashem. Now you have to do that even when, even when it's a present situation, right? When you open the umbrella, you should also ask Hashem. You said to Shoshavah, they talked about that. Hashem, please uh, keep me dry, right? The, the winds could start coming, my umbrella could break, but at least you know that you're doing the right thing, so to speak. Sometimes you don't know and you have to rely on Hashem. Now relying on Hashem either means that you guess on your own and ask Hashem to help you guess properly and so I, don't, I don't mean a guess it could be an educated guess and not an irresponsible guess and sometimes it's asking an Elohim and following his direction sometimes it's asking a consultant and following his direction the point is that when you know that you're not looking for something certain because there isn't any certainty available you feel calmer so trying to figure out what your husband should do over here it shouldn't be about figuring out what's, what's the right thing because there's no way to know the right thing it's trying your best to do what you and him both feel is probably the most responsible decision for the meantime. And you'll assess as time goes on if this is correct and you're going to stick to it or change course later on. It's okay. You know, you, you, definitely, you definitely have to be responsible later as well. So if it's not working, you could, you could then again make a new decision. And everything, of course, has to do with a minute, but it just becomes so much easier when you're relying on Hashem and knowing that He's in charge, knowing that you can't outsmart the system. And if He wants to be Matzliach, He'll be Matzliach. And if He doesn't want it, He won't. So based on all that, sit down with your husband, discuss the pros and cons, not when he's stressed, not when you need someone to listen to him, not when he's throwing at you to make his decision for him. Dis- discuss with him who you want to discuss it with, who you're going to rely on, how you're going to decide at what point this is what we're deciding is we're going to do, even if we're not 100% sure. At what, at what point, how much time are we giving ourselves to make this decision? And in the midst of it should be, uh, it should become very simple. So I just want to end off with a, with a, a, word, a, a, a line when it comes to Amina, believing in Hashem. He says, with Amina, right, with faith in Hashem, um, you could even go over the sea. You could, you, could, you could jump over the ocean, believing in Hashem and trusting in Hashem. 
Without Amina, without Hashem, you can't even go over the door, the door, the doorstep. There's nothing you can do without, without Amina Matochem. First of all, this is just related to our conversation here about what's, what's your future going to be and where's your husband going to be Matzliach. With Hashem, he can be Matzliach from anything. Mazaidi used to say, If Hashem wants, even a broom could shoot. You don't need a gun, you can use a broom. You know? So, you know, if Hashem wants, you'll, all, you'll be Matzliach regardless. If He doesn't want, you won't be Matzliach regardless. So, you know, if that's the question, now you just have to make a responsible decision. And similarly, I just want to mention, with Shulam Bayes, when husband and wife are together on something, and they're there for each other, and there's a connection and a relationship, and they care for each other, you could, you could accomplish, you could overcome even the biggest challenges. And without Shulam Bayes, even the smallest ones, the smallest ones, the ones where somebody just crutches about a headache, it's not ongoing, it's not a big stress, it's not a major thing, it's just crutching. Oh, why are you crutching to me? I have my own headache, I, you didn't really have a headache, and whatever. The smallest thing becomes an issue. So I'd like to encourage everyone to learn from this questioner who does have a good relationship that, you know, this is trivial when two people are working together to overcome it. And I have the right understanding and the right listening and the right care and the right connection. You know, we could all live together and overcome all the challenges. I have yourself, I have a, I have a